today's message is called Love in Action. Uh, and it, it literally is, is learning to take the love of Jesus and not just live with it ourselves, but to give it away and how God changes our hearts. So, Father, we thank you for what you're doing here at Reach Community Church. Lord, you've called them to reach this community. Father, you've called us to, to reach the people that are in this building. Lord, and the many people that will come through these doors. So, Lord, we pray for your kingdom come, your will be done. Lord, just anoint the message. Lord, each person here needs to hear what you're saying to them. So, Father, I love it that, God, you're able to take what you speak through me and speak to the hearts of these people. God, use it for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as my text, I'm going to preach out of uh, 1 Corinthians or or, uh, 1 John chapter 3. Um, And... When, when Jesus began his ministry, he was approached by several different times, uh, but he was approached by a young zealot person and was asked, what is the greatest commandment? So in Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 40, this is what it says, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment of the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. So in other words, God says the first commandment, if you were to sum all the Christian life, is you could be summed up in two, in two commandments. It's loving God, and the second one is this. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as you love yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Now, first of all, God says love God with all your heart. And I think most people love God. Uh, but sometimes they don't, they haven't been able to translate loving themselves. Now, there's a difference between self-love and loving yourself. Jesus wants us healthy people, heal people, wounded people, wound people. And some people think that the world evolves around them. That's self-love. But people, when they get a revelation that they're sinners, that they don't deserve, they deserve judgment, and, they, and, and in spite of it, God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross, And they get a revelation that God's love was given in the form of his son and that Jesus died for them, even if they were the only person on the earth. And they get a revelation of how much God's love is for them. What happens is God changes you from the inside out. You know, when I first came to Christ, I I, I lived a a life where I had been told by my dad that, that I really wasn't anything. If I had any brains, I'd take it out and play with it. Well... I've been told that so many times, I actually begin to believe it. And so I lived out that lifestyle and got a lot of trouble. I, I tell people I was arrested many times uh, prior to being 18. I was, by the time I was 18, I'd been pulled over to the police by 21 times. And uh, just there was a war going on. And then I saw some people's lives radically changed, people that I'd known. I went to church. I grew up in a, in a Catholic church. Um, so I saw, if you're anybody here, I have a Catholic background. So I grew up in church, was an altar boy, uh, learned how to drink in the church because when communion was over, the, the priest did several masses. He says, I can't drink all this wine, so I, I started drinking the wine. So that got me in a lot of trouble. So how many of you know, you can, it doesn't matter what church. It could be a Catholic church, it could be this church. If you want to sin and don't know Jesus, you can act religious. There's a difference. We're going to talk about this 18 inches from here to here, the longest distance in the world. I would say I love God and knew God and attended church almost every day. But there's a lot of difference between here, knowing about God, 
and actually I, I would love God until Jesus became real here. See, and when I saw the Catholic priest who was the guy that was the leader and the lady who was my catechism, more like a Sunday school teacher, their lives radically changed right in front of me. I said, they now have something that I want. It went from their head to the heart. The Catholic priest says, hey, I went to a conference just last week, came back, God touched me. We saw, guys, literally, we saw signs and wonders. We saw amazing miracles, healings that were just hole in heart, no hole in heart, just supernatural miracles. And we, we still serve a living God. And what happened is when God goes from here to here, that supernatural becomes real. And so I, I received Christ. My life was radically transformed. My mom got to the point where she says, Randy, I don't ever want to hear the name Jesus again. You know, and what it did is, is what happened is one of the first revelations that God gave me was this simple little revelation. I, the lady who led me to the Lord, my catechism teacher, she says, Randy, you need to go home and look in a mirror and tell yourself God doesn't make junk. See, because I now had experienced God's love and God's forgiveness. And guys, at 18, I'd already done quite a, quite a things that I was ashamed of. And I had experienced God's love, but I couldn't love myself. I couldn't receive what God had done for me. And so one of the first transformations that began to change in my heart was not only was I forgiven, but I was able to begin to love myself. That was a healthy self-love. Not See, a person that, that loves themselves is consumed with themselves. They, they think that the world evolves for their good. See, but when you start falling in love with Jesus, God gives you a love that's not... You have a healthy love. You have a healthy acceptance. God doesn't make junk. But then what he does is he begins to change your heart and you begin to love other people. So today's message is literally how, how one of the evidences of salvation is that God changes a person's heart and they no longer just love themselves, but they love other people. And they, they says you'll know them by their love. That 18 inches. At the end of the service, I'm going to ask Keith to provide an opportunity because, guys, we live in the South. Everybody here grew up in church. Well, maybe not. But if there was like a belt, well, we're in the south of the south. We're the buckle belt of the south. And everybody has raised their hands. They've heard about When I was, I had never, I've been in church at 16. I'd never heard the gospel ever, ever, never once. If you haven't heard the gospel in the south, there's something wrong. Okay, so I want to talk to you about how God changes our hearts. John chapter 3, I'm going to just read John chapter 3, 11 through 24. So if you would, uh, it's probably up on the screen. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the evil one, who slew his brother. For what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil, his heart was evil, and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. Why? It's because when you're walking right, doing right, people despise it. We know that we have passed out of death <clears throat> into life because we, we love the brethren. I'm going to set my timer. How many of you have never known me to preach long? All right. 
Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Ooh, that's kind of hardcore. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. We will know by this that we are of the truth and will assure our hearts before him. And verse 20, in whatever our hearts condemn us, For God is greater than our hearts and knows all things. Beloved, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And this is the consequence. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. This is the commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he had commanded us. The one who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. We know that by that, he, by that he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he has given us. Now, a couple things I want you to pick up out of this section of Scripture. Number, verse 11, we are called to love others. Verse 12, do not allow envy, unforgiveness, hatred, and prejudice like Cain to reside in our hearts. Verse 13, don't be surprised that if you walk right and you put God first in your life, that other people will despise you, but especially among your own family. One of the evidence that a person has truly been been born again is that they're not just lovers of themselves, but they love other people and lay their lives down for it. Verses 19 through 20, what is it mean to have a clean conscience and how a clean conscience opens the door for faith and when we pray, miracles happen. Verse 23 and 24, we're called to love God, to obey God, and to love your neighbor as yourself. First <clears throat> John chapter 3, verse 11. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. See? All through the Old Testament, the love of God And the love of God for all people, not just for the Jews, but for all people is in the in the Old Testament. And at the beginning of Jesus message, Jesus came onto the scene, loving people, accepting people. Just think about just how Jesus changed the culture of how women were treated. In Jesus's day, a woman was was supposed to walk 12 paces behind her father, her husband. Women typically were not allowed to be educated. Jesus, when he came onto the scene, treated women with dignity and respect. He hung around women. In fact, we see several incidents in the New Testament where when Jesus was uh, left by himself, the, the woman caught in adultery, the woman, the woman in, in adultery, Jesus is actually just talking to her, which for a Jew was considered unheard of. A Jewish man on the morning would go, God, thank you that I'm not a heathen, that I'm not a pagan, and that I'm not a woman. So when Jesus came onto the scene, how women were treated in that culture, he changed everything. 
where he treated women as equals. So, but what happened is Jesus began to change the whole culture of that day. Now, guys, growing up in the Catholic Church, I was in a choir. And one of the gifts God did, has not given me is the ability to have a good voice. But I actually have to, part of my message has a song in it. So just to kind of show you where I was, as a young boy, we had the Catholic Church facing this way. The choir was up front facing this way. Now, later on I found out why I was always put on the front row is the, the mic was back here. So one time the youth choirs of the city we're having a kind of a youth contest for the competition for the youth choirs. Now, the nun goes, she says, now, Randy, you do know that when we go to this contest, you just move your lips and don't say anything. Ouch. That was my, that ended my career. I'm glad God says make a joyful noise. All right. So how many of you remember this song? Now, some of us, when you were a young person in the 70s, You sang this song at every church camp. It was a common song. So just, we are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. You can tell I can't sing. And we pray that all unity will one day be restored. And they'll know we are Christians by our love. By our love, yes, they'll know we are Christians by our love. Now, guys, thank you for enduring my song. But that was a song that we, as young Christians, began to sing. After my conversion, I sang this song with all my heart. And I I had experienced that God had changed my heart um, and began to give me a love for other people. John chapter 13, this is a cross-reference. John 13, 34 through 5, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another even as I loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have, one another, if you have love for one another. See, when Jesus came onto the scene, cultural Christianity was birthed. After Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, There were these Jews who had encountered from the head to the heart change. And Jesus had become real in their hearts. But what happened is they began to make a difference. In fact, the gospel began to spread. And one of the first, they weren't first called, they were called followers of Jesus. But then as the gospel spread from Jerusalem to Judea to the other parts of the known world at that day, it landed in a city called Antioch. It's a a city between present-day Syria and Turkey. And, well, it was on the what they call the silk trade route. So it was a very wealthy, it was probably the third largest city in, the, in, in that region um, in biblical times. And so it was a very metropolitan city. It was all kinds of Greeks, Jews, Mesopotamians. There was trade. It was all kinds of things. But what happened is when the Romans and the gospel of Jesus Christ through Paul and Peter came to Antioch, The people's lives were so changed, and what was a demonstration is because martyrdom, uh, persecution of the Christians began to happen, and they saw these people from all these different nationalities begin to stand up and live a different lifestyle. And they were marked by their their love, their love for the, the believers of different nationalities, of different cultures, 
but their love for people that were treating them and misusing them and that degraded and belittled them and literally were putting them to death. So the word Christian first became popular in the, the city of Antioch, and it literally meant little Jesus followers who are demonstrating his love. And so they were called Christians first in Antioch, and it was a, it was a message that says, you'll know them by their love. These are my disciples. So a true disciple, again, you can have people. What's the difference between religion and relationship? How many of you can know Jesus here? You can grow up in church like me my whole entire life. But it's when God comes down and becomes real in your heart, and it's, it's not just knowing about him, but it's knowing him and knowing his love, knowing his forgiveness, and he changes you to the point that there's a love that goes beyond who you are. First John chapter 3, verses 12. Hated because of being righteous. Now, not as Cain, who was of the evil one and slew his brother. For what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. Now, what is it that made Cain kill his brother Abel? Both of them had... Talk about mom and dad. Mom and dad were Adam and Eve. They had walked in the garden with God. And so you can grow up knowing about God. Again, Cain and Abel were brothers. But Abel walked righteously. His heart was right. He did what was right. He did what was pleasing to God. Cain, on the other hand, did what I call religious compensation. He went through the practices but his heart wasn't changed. And ultimately, because his heart wasn't changed, he began to despise and envy and hate his brother. See, the seed of hatred, the seed of prejudice, the seed, the seed of pride is sitting there. Let's look in Genesis what God said to Cain. Cain slays Abel out of jealousy. Genesis chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. It says, Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, you will be accepted. But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, and you must master it. How many of you know that sin of hatred and jealousy and envy, that racism that abides is sitting at the edge of our heart, but God says, if you do what is right, right will happen to you. But if you give in to that pride, to that prejudice, to that racism, it's sitting at your heart and you have to master it. In other words, I want to tell you today, here in Leland, there is a racial divide. There's white church and there's black church. In, in where I came from, in Colorado growing up as a young boy, it was the white community and the Hispanic community. There are racial differences all around the world. When we die and we go to heaven, it's not going to be white church and black church or white church and Hispanic church or white church and Indian church. It's going to be Jesus followers. And what's going to make the difference of breaking down the cultural barriers in this city is when a church decides that we're going to be a, a house of prayer for all nations. 
A lot of people hear the word prayer, but they really miss what that is. The word house of prayer for all nations, which is in the Old Testament, it's in the New Testament. The Greek word for nations is ethnos, means people groups. So when we didn't grow for past 10 years, God just spoke to me one day. says, Randy, I didn't call you to start a church. I called you to take this city. I said, Lord, what do you mean? And so God began to take me on this journey. One of the four things that he's told us at the beginning is, is my house will be a house of prayer. The word nation is ethnos, people groups. I looked at our congregation, and for a high degree, it was an all-white congregation. And God said, Randy, I've called you to make an impact, to change the city, to love the brethren. And I said, God, how do I change that? He says, you need to become a house of prayer for all nations, for all people groups. Now, if you come to Grace Church, guys, today there are white, Black, Laotian, Chinese, Korean, Filipino, Jamaican, you name it. And, and folks, we celebrate it. But let me tell you, it has been an intentional warfare on our behalf to change the climate because people would say, you can't do that. You can't be that way. Our staff is a demonstration that we believe that God's called us to be a house of prayer for all nations. We're a multi-ethnic, multi-culture community uh, in, in our city. And it has literally changed our city. We, we, God has done amazing, amazing, amazing things. You know, those that have come with us know where we've come from. So if God's calling you to reach this community, reach up to God, reach in. That means two things. It means, one, getting connected in vital relationship, community, small groups. But it's also getting involved in, in serving, in, in capacity. And the third thing that God's called you to do is to reach out and to love others. Now, it's not loving others that are like you. It's loving others that don't know Jesus. White, black, Chinese, Laotian, Korean. God's called you as a people to love people and to deal with the pride and the unforgiveness and the prejudice that's sitting in the heart of all of us. Guys, I promise you, the seed of racism is in the, each one of our hearts. And it's going to be a war for you to love in spite of. Amen? Am I stepping on anybody's toes here? Yes. All right. <clears throat> One of the evidences of salvation, 1 John three fourteen, it says, We know we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. So one of the evidences that a person's truly, that God's gone from their head to their heart, is that he has a love for others. He has a love for people that have done him wrong. How many of you know the, the name John Newton? Anybody know John Newton? Okay, I got a couple here. But let me tell you about John Newton. John Newton was one of the world's worst slave traders. They would go to Africa in the, during the slave trading period when literally thousands upon thousands of Africans that were being abducted from their families, sold, brought into slavery. John Newton was, was a, a slave trader. He would take them onto his ship. They would, would put them in confined areas where they did not have room. They'd have to eat and sleep and defecate right there. It was unsanitary conditions. He treated people with brutality. Now, two things began to happen. John Newton saw some Africans that had been taken into captivity. He saw they had a love for God. Even when they were treated ruthlessly, they responded back in love. And the second thing he saw 
men that were on his ship and people that he had been, had, had been exposed to earlier in his life that showed a love for God. And what happened is one day, at the point of despair because of who he had become, John Newton fell on his knees. And Jesus went from his head, knowing about God, to his heart. And because of the transformation that took place, John Newton, John Newton, John Newton wrote the song, Amazing Grace. How great the sound that saved a wretch like me. So John Newton was a man who, one of the evidences of salvation was he began to become the greatest advocacy for the stopping of slavery and the mistreatment of those that were in slavery. And he began to love those that he had actually murdered. See, one of the evidences of salvation is that God gives you a love beyond your comfort zone. So one of the things I want to challenge you to is falling in love with Jesus. It's really great. It really helps me. It really changes my life. But really one of the evidences that if you truly love God, there are going to be people who are going to treat you wrongly because you live for Jesus. Sometimes some of those that are closest to you, your own family, are going to give you the most difficulty. And you have to choose to make a decision, who am I going to serve? Who am I going to love? Because this is one of the great sins that is destroying our country. And, and to be honest with you, the church is probably one of the greatest advocates of racism. And we as a people need to not let it happen. Reach community. This community has a, a, the seeds of racism and hatred. It's, it's over your community. But I believe that God can use this church and the, he prays with pastors. He, he builds unity with these pastors. And how you're going to change this community and the way they treat people in this community is by living righteously. But don't be surprised if it causes conflict. It's the normal thing. We know that we have, 1 John 3, 14, we know we passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not, he does, he who does not love abides in death. Cross-reference, John 5.24. Truly, truly, I say to you that he who hears my words, hears my words and believes in him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment but has passed from life to death. Now, one of the evidences of salvation, verse 14, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love their brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Verse 15, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Now, guys, I didn't write that. But that's pretty hardcore. God says you have to deal with the hatred and racism that's in your heart. And for me to tell you that racism isn't in your heart, it is there. And there may be seasons when you've done better at it. But it's always sitting at the edge of our door. And we have to learn how to master it. And how we master this because of having a personal relationship with God. Matthew chapter 5 says this. He says, You have heard the ancients do not commit murder. Whoever commits murder shall be liable in the court. But I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. Whoever says to your brother, You are good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says, You fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery pits of hell. Oh, God. 
God says we have to deal with our hearts and choose to love people that are different from us. Matthew chapter 6, verse 14 says, For if you forgive others for their transgression, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your heavenly Father will not forgive you of your transgressions. Verse 16, 1 John 3:16. We know love by this, that He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. So one of the true evidences that a person has God's love abiding in his heart is that he goes beyond himself and he chooses to love, speak, love people in spite of their failures, in spite of their weaknesses. And they choose to lay down their love and their life for others. You know, marriage is probably the most difficult relationship in life. It, it is one of, also one of the best things. Scripture has a lot to say. It's like this. Husbands, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, it says, Husbands, love your wives in an understanding way. Least your prayers are hindered. So in other words, is it possible when we allow unforgiveness, hatred, prejudice, and pride towards our spouse that it's going to affect our prayer life? Is it possible? It says, Husbands, Love your wives as Christ loved the church and laid his life down for it. And guys, the people that Jesus laid down his life for were people that sometimes didn't treat him well. The centurion soldier who was, was beating him, whipping him, he says, Father, forgive them. Now, folks, we're called to be leaders. We're called to be lovers. That doesn't mean we're marshmallows. See, Jesus has called us to walk in grace and truth. Verse 17. But whoever has world goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? See, who owns everything you've got? Who's it, who, who's, who, who's it, who does it belong to? Is it yours or is it on loan from God? He's the source of our provision. And God says, I want you to go help that person. God, I don't want to go help that person. How many of you have ever had that little argument with God? Right? God says, I want you to help him in spite of it. Now, we're asking you to use wisdom. Uh, again, I, 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 it's like I, I, I love those that want, it's like, well, we don't need, I'm going to chase too many trails, and there's so much good information. Whoever has the world's good and sees his brother need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with only word and tongue, but indeed in truth. In other words, you can say you're a Jesus follower, you love God, but if it doesn't come out in two things, out of your mouth, in your actions, and in truth. Now, in, let's, let me, everybody, if you've got your Bible with you, turn to John chapter, the book of John, chapter 1, verse 17. When someone gets there, would you please read it? John chapter 1, John, the book of John, chapter 1, verse 17. I'm going to close with this. I was going to do a little bit more, but I can see. I, I love preaching and can go long. Amen. John chapter 1, verse 17. Chris? 
In the fullness of time, God sent his son, Jesus Christ. The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth through Jesus Christ. Now, if you grew up in religion, it's a list of rules and regulations. So the truth is the truth. But Jesus came in the fullness of grace and truth. That means nobody can ever measure up. And what grace is literally is God's unconditional love and acceptance. See, one of the things that changes your life is you're not good enough. You're not perfect. Matthew 5:48. Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. How many of you are perfect? If you raise your hand, you're lying. Right? So how many sins does it take to keep you out of heaven? Just one. See, grace, Jesus lived a perfect life. He fulfilled righteousness. He was tempted in every way we were. But he came in grace and truth. That means he loved us and accepted us even though we'd blown it. But he still lived a life of truth. See, and what happens sometimes is we've confused what God's unconditional love is. God unconditionally loves and accepts us. True, right? The whole 1 Corinthians 13, God loves us unconditionally. But when God comes into your life, His love changes you. He accepts you just like you are. But one thing that God's love does is He never leaves you where you are. His truth, the truth is the truth. And His truth sets you free because you understand His love and acceptance. See, there's a place, I, and in fact, if I was to say, if I had a word from God that I think that somebody here is wrestling with, is see, truth in our country is, it, it's, what is truth? What, what's happened with truth is we've just thrown what truth is and moral, moral standards right out the door. So people have what we call individualism, is whatever I think is right in my own eyes is acceptable. Can you see how you, just turn on the news or what I call the fake news. doesn't matter what channel you're watching. does not matter. But everybody's doing what's right in their own eyes. Individualism, secularism is what is good for you, what is good for society, is good for everybody. How many of you know those standards change? Just sometimes we're almost to the point of just flat-out hedonism. What, people, what, was, what was good when these guys were kids, and what I'm kids, I'm just a, a couple days younger than them, Actually, about ten. <laughs> ten years. <clears throat> but guys, we grew up and there was a sense of right and wrong. But in our culture, what's happened is truth is not something. See, so when Joshua came into the promised land, they conquered, they killed the giants, they possessed the promised land. Joshua is about ready to die and at the end of his life. He tells him, he says, guys... Look what God has done. Look at God's faithfulness. Look at how God's provided. Look how God's protected. He says, now, I'm getting ready to die. So I'm going to just make a statement. Joshua 24:15. he says, but you guys, if you want to serve the gods of this world, you want to serve the culture of the day, you can do that. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I believe there are people here who need to define what is truth. God... God is a loving God. What's happened is we've confused what is love. Love is not this big, big marshmallow that says, hey, God loves everything and accepts everything. You know what? God does love us unconditionally, but he never leaves us where we are. God loves you, and he has a plan for your life, a plan for better. 
And God has standards of righteousness. He has standards of truth. And so if you really want to know the love of God, you, you can't just know that, oh, he's a loving marshmallow. God is a loving God, but he's also a just God. And because he is a loving God, he must punish sin. See, the motivation for serving Jesus is thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for me. See, the motivation for, for serving God is not trying to earn God's love because you're never going to measure up. The motivation for serving God is simply he loves you in spite of who you are. And he saved me. I am glad that my Savior rescued me. I hate to think of where I would be today. I'd probably be dead. I'd probably be an alcoholic. I probably would have done some stupid things because my life was on a trajectory that was headed to hell. And God rescued me and loved me in spite of it. God's called this church to impact this community. He's called Reach Church to reach Leland for Jesus. God wants Reach to have a love for the unlovely. Reach wants to reach those that are in church that know Jesus here, but don't know people here. I worked for UPS going through Bible college and starting Grace Church for 13 years, working those two jobs. And I remember I worked with this one supervisor for years and years, and he told me one day, he says, hey, I'm having all kinds of medical problems, I'm going to the doctor, anxiety, my marriage is in trouble. I said, well, why don't you consider church? This is the guy I worked with for years. And so he gave me that, you know, that fellowship friend finger and says, by the way, I'm a deacon in my church. How many of you know you can know God here? But if it's not living its life out by your lifestyle, we're never going to reach Leland if our church is something we do on Sunday morning. We're going to reach our community when the love of Jesus compels us to live in both grace and truth. When I was a supervisor for UPS, I had to fire a lot of guys. And I remember one, and a lot of those guys go to my church now. One of the guys I had to fire, he says, Randy, he says, I know I deserve to get fired. I've broken the rules. He says, but if there was somebody that was going to fire me, I'm glad you're the person. Because you treat me with dignity and respect. Folks, we still need to be people that do does what's right. We still need to punish those that do wrong and reward those that do right. Romans chapter 13. But we can do life with love and respect. Be loving and kind in all that you say and all that you do. And people will know by your love that you're a true believer in Jesus Christ. Keith Cadell. I'm going to go ahead and get the worship team to come back up. Look, and I, I know you hear me say this a lot, um, and I hate sounding like a broken record, but our desire is not to educate you so that you have knowledge our desire is to educate you, to motivate you to be active in our world. And the problem with most of that is that if we go out into the world with only knowledge, that usually knowledge puffs up. 
there's a grace and mercy that changes who we are when we interact with the living God. And so what we want to invite you to this morning is not a religious experience, not a um, whatever. We want to invite you to humble yourself and ask, (laughs) does your life demonstrate the Savior that you proclaim? Because if your life doesn't demonstrate the Savior that you proclaim, then something may be wrong. And today may be a day that you just humble yourself and go, God, I need you. Look, we're never meant to do this alone. We're never meant to wake up in the morning and try our hardest. We were meant to submit to a loving God that wants to change us continually. Here's the grace of Jesus. He doesn't want to save you so that you have an encounter, so that you have an experience that moves you. He wants to move in and interact with you day in and day out when you wake up and how you respond. It happens through our connection. And so what I'd like to do is is we close is just to pray and just ask God to mess with us. Because the worst thing that we can do is stay the same. Let these things that are mildly annoying, let these things that are mildly ruining our life. I mean, they're not major. You know, when something major happens, we run to the Lord and want him to rescue us. But the dangerous is these things that we allow in our life that God wants to remove is they'll end up destroying us. So this morning, I just ask you, what is it that you're allowing in your life that God wants to say no For my children, this cannot stay, and you be who have called you to be. So let's pray. Dearly Father, it is by your grace and mercy that we're even breathing right now. It is by your grace and mercy that you've brought Randy here this morning, that you've spoken the words that he has spoken through your word. Lord, I pray that you would eliminate condemnation, that 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 moves us to fear. But that you would convict us right now of a um, of a inability to be the people you are, because we are the one that are trying to do it. Lord, we want to submit to you. Lord, when the early church was pushed against a wall, when they were threatened with persecution, they went to you and you you didn't take away the persecution, you give them boldness. And that boldness came with a freshness of you pouring out your Holy Spirit on them. So this morning, as we close in this song, Lord, I pray that you would just move us to this place of going, God, we need you. We are desperate for you. And so, Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.